Welcome to the Convergence Church Podcast. Our vision at Convergence is to encounter Jesus and transform cities with His power and His love. If you'd like more information about Convergence and how to plug in, you can visit convergencechurch.com. Thanks so much for tuning in and enjoy this message. My message title this morning is The Sword of the Spirit. Let's pray. Put your hand on your heart. Lord, we open our hearts to you. Lord, this morning, even as we were in pre-service prayer, I really felt this thing of your breathing. There's fresh breath and wind. And so, Lord, we receive the fresh wind, the wind of the Spirit. So this morning, as we talk about your word, Lord, I ask you for a couple things. One, I ask you that it would pierce our hearts. I ask you that it would would challenge us, that it would encourage us, and that ultimately that it it would lead us deeper into you. And so we love you, Jesus. We thank you for this opportunity to open your word. Your word is life. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. All right. Listen, um, this morning, my my disclaimer is I I am going to be very challenging that you need to read this this morning. So I'm just going to go ahead and skip to the end of this message and tell you, you need to read this. Okay, I'm going to go so far, and I don't know how many pastors are going to say this this morning, but I'm going to go so far as to say, if you listen to me more than you read this, please turn me off. I would rather you turn me off. If you're watching online right now and you listen to this more than you read, just turn it off right now and open this up. Even if I have good things to say, this is going to bring you more life than listening to me talk for an hour or 30 minutes. Some of you got that. All right, so listen, we are a spirit and the word church. If you're new here, I know we had some guests raise their hands. We kind of have a couple different camps in the body of Christ. We kind of have kind of have the word people over here it's the bible people you know we love the bible right and then we kind of have this camp over here which some would call a little more charismatic we're kind of in the spirit camp we're like we love the spirit we love the spirit right well can i tell you that this is where you need to be you got the spirit and you got the word because guess what you, the word is not going to do anything without the spirit because the spirit breathes on the word and makes it come alive. But then also we can be in this camp over here and we can get a little swirly. I love swirly, but the swirly needs to be able to be found in here or else we're a little too swirly. And we're a little out of whack, and we're a little out of order, and we have a lot, we have, we kind of have these, these two things, right? We have people that are like, whoa, I don't know what you're doing, bro, but that is not in the Bible, <laughs> right? And then over here, we can sometimes get a little more legalistic about things, and it's like, no, we need the Spirit to actually make it come alive. It's got to be living and active, right? All right, so we're a Spirit and a Word church. So this morning, I'm going to unapologetically tell you not to take what I say this morning as truth, but to read it for yourself. Okay, how many remember Martin Luther? Well, that, that was a little bit of a slow process of hands. Hopefully more than that. Man, I need to stop and do a history lesson. All right. <laughs> Martin Luther, right? Nails the 95 theses to the door. Who? who yes? Okay. Reformation, right? It's a huge deal. Um, And in Martin Luther's day, what was one of the big problems? 
pur purgatory. <laughs> it's true. That's true. One of the big problems that was faced was actually, it was, it was illiteracy. It was the fact that the Bible was in Latin, but the Bible wasn't actually in the language that the people spoke. And so you had priests who could read dictating what the word says, and they couldn't actually see what the word actually said to look in it and actually say, man, is this guy like, is he cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs? Or like, what's going on? They, they don't know because there's a priest that is the one saying, hey, this is what is reality. What did this lead to? We all know this, right? There's a popular quote from the day that says this, uh, as soon as the coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. What do I mean? I mean, give me enough money as a priest, and I'll write you what's called an indulgence. And now, guess what? You can be free. You can go to heaven. You won't go to hell. Everything's going to be fine. All because the coin in the coffers in here, a soul from purgatory springs. But I want you to see what led to this. It's the fact that the common person couldn't actually read this. This morning, we live in the West. We have more versions of this than we've ever had. You, you, can, you can probably read it on your watch. You can read it on your phone. You can listen to somebody read it. You can listen to somebody that's put somebody like Mark Slack behind it and read it. You can, there's so many ways to read this this morning. So what's my point? My point is we don't live in an age where we're dealing with illiteracy. In fact, we have the Bible printed in more languages than you can, like, it's crazy. And we're continuing to print in other languages. And I'm so thankful for the work that uh, people like, Sean, Sean Conklin, and like he's, he's helped translate the Bible. He's a missionary that we support here at Convergence. He's, he, he and his family, they're in Southeast Asia. And part of the work that Sean has given his life to is translating the scriptures. Sean, if you're listening, we're so thankful for you guys. I'm so thankful for people that are willing to stand and translate the word into other languages that don't have the written word of God. Right? So we don't have an illiteracy problem, okay? But here's what I think. I think we have a follow the leader problem. What do I mean? I think, I especially saw this in 2020. It was like everybody was following every rabbit hole. It was like every TikTok video, every YouTube sermon, every YouTube prophet, everything. It was like, yeah, that's the truth. Let's go. And then it was like, oh, hold on, that's a little off now. Okay, here it is, a million views. This is it. This must, this must really be the truth. Right? What are we doing? We're following leaders more than we're following God. And I see this a lot, and I, I see this even in Christianity. I see this in the church. I see us following pastors more than we're following our word. Which is why I'm so bold as to say, I would way rather you not follow me and follow what's in here. And if you see me getting a little out of whack and you're like, hey, Andrew, can we, can we read the context of that verse again? I would love to. I would love to. Why? Because I'm held accountable as a leader to an even greater standard of being able to teach this to you. But let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. In the end, in the end, when Jesus comes back, it is not going to be about how many good Andrew quotes you know. It's not going to be about Andrew's interpretation of this. It's going to be about, did you know me? Were you in here? Do you know what this actually says? Not what Andrew knows it says. Do you know what it says? And I think when, when we get into this follow the leader problem, I think we get into this just listening to podcasts, YouTube messages, and we listen to the pastor on Sundays more than we open it up for ourselves. We follow leaders who know it, so why would we need to know it? Because the truth will set you free. Not, not, just, not just words, not just words, the truth. 
You have to be rooted in it. So we cannot follow leaders more than we follow our Bibles. The follow the leader problem stems from a place of taking information from leaders, sources, and experience and crafting our view of God around those things instead of actually reading it ourselves. This is why we have people that will watch one viral video about something and all of a sudden that video becomes the answer and we don't need to dig into anything else. We don't need to actually think critically for ourselves. We don't need to actually like do anything else. We're just like, yeah, that's the gospel. Well, are you sure? Is it in here? No, it's not in here? All right, flush it. We say this all the time. If you go to any Wednesday night training, you're going to hear Nikki, like a broken record, which I love, say 1 Thessalonians 5, where it talks about examining every prophetic word. Examine. That word also can be translated test. So one thing as a pastor that I don't like to see is people blindly following a pastor or leader. And then you begin to ask them questions about their faith and the Bible, and they don't actually know. They just know what the pastor says. I, guys, this, I'm super passionate about this. I think, I think the illiteracy of the Bible is dropping. But yet the listening hours is rising. Because we're, listen, we're taking in more sources, and we're elevating those sources above this one. And it's a problem that we need to deal with. So my personal fascination and awe of who Jesus is, this is Andrew, okay? Andrew's personal fascination and awe of who Jesus is and my desire to know him will not sustain you. You cannot be sustained by the revelation that God has given me. You cannot be sustained by the revelation that God has given other pastors and leaders in the body of Christ that we look up to and sometimes put on a pedestal and elevate what they hear about God more than what we're hearing. It will not sustain you. You have to actually have a relationship with him. You have to know him. All right. He wants you to stop looking at other things and turn your attention to him. One thing I'm passionate about is that you follow the good shepherd of scripture who is Jesus more than you followed any other shepherd, even if they're a good pastor. I hope I'm a good pastor. And my job, my role is largely to help teach and equip and grow you. But guess what? The number one way that that happens is actually not even through me it's through me encouraging you to read this. It's you getting in here. So yes, I am giving you permission to stop listening to me <laughs> and read this. But I hope that I inspire and encourage you to get in here because this has to be where everything flows from. You need to know it. I was just recently with uh, Corey Russell. I love Corey Russell. I was just recently with him at an event, and I was listening to him preach, and I, I've known Corey because Corey, we did a Bible study with, with some of the upper room crew a little while back, and so I know Corey not off the stage, and there are few people that I've ever met in my life that know the Bible like Corey Russell. And so Corey Russell's up there, and he's preaching a message, and literally, no joke, he starts quoting word for word seven to nine verses of Revelation 4. Do you know why Corey knows seven to nine verses of Revelation 4? Because he probably reads that every day. Because he allows this to not just be words on a page, but it actually gets in here. And when it gets in here, you better watch out. Something's going to happen. <laughs> Corey just gets up there and starts talking but he's quoting so much scripture because he knows it. All right. I'm going to give you some numbers really quick. This is survey data from the Barna Group. So thankful for Scott Wood who sends this information to me. Love you, Scott. 
So thankful for you. Uh, in partnership with the seed company, Barna conducted a study of the U.S. church's ideas about mission, social justice, Bible translation, and other aspects of spreading the gospel around the world. And you can view this report. Uh, it's called Translating the Great Commission if you want to view the information yourself. But listen to these numbers, guys. According to the numbers from the survey, half of U.S. churchgoers, that's 51%, say they do not know the term Great Commission. Never heard of it. Been in church. Don't know what it is. All right, now listen to this. It gets worse. I wish it got better. Out of the other 49% that would say that they have heard the term, only 17% of that 49 could actually recognize the passage. So we have 17% of churchgoers that actually could look at the passage amongst all other multiple choice answers and pick out Matthew 28, 19. That's the Great Commission. Only 17% of churchgoers can do that. What's my point? They don't know the Bible. Most churchgoers in the U.S. do not know the Great Commission or where to find it. Now, there's another study that I want to bring your attention to. It's the American Bible Society. They did a wide survey after COVID, and they found that there was a pretty significant drop. Like 2020, it was like a plummet. According to the American Bible Society, the number of people in the U.S. that use their Bibles at least, listen to this, three to four times a year. Not a week, not a week. The people that in the U.S. that use their Bible at least three to four times per year outside of a church building dropped by 26 million people in 2021. That's 26 million believers that would say that they don't even read their Bible three to four times a year anymore outside of a church. And we wonder why we have some of the problems that we have. The Cultural Research Center of Arizona Christian University conducted a survey and found that only 40, oh gosh, listen to this, only 42% of believers believe the Bible is true, accurate, and relevant. just a good book I read occasionally. The largest share of adults believes that there is no absolute moral truth and that truth is up to the individual to determine. So we have 26 million less people reading the Bible and yet if you polled these people, I bet they know pop culture. I bet they know the lyrics to their favorite songs. I bet they know their sports teams. I bet they know podcasts, TikTok videos, and most probably even go to church, but they don't read their Bible. I saw a church recently on their website. They say that they believe in Jesus, that they follow Christ, but their beliefs say this. Christianity must continue to evolve and be reimagined for the 21st century. But why, but why are people going to that? Because they don't have a clue what this says. But you know what? You know what? There's a lot of tickling of ears. There's a lot. Hey, listen, come into our church. You don't have to change anything about your life. Come in. Don't worry, don't worry. We'll take out the portions of this that we don't like either. That's what Thomas Jefferson did, right? He would take out portions of the Bible. We do this in church today. There are churches that are doing that right now. What happens? The Bible becomes optional. It's just optional. Come into church, read your Bible. Ah, the read your Bible part's optional. Right? It becomes just a good history lesson. Good principles. But in terms of our faith and our life, we don't really need it. All right, now that was a little bit depressing, I know. <laughs> However, I'm going to pick it up a notch. You ready? Here it goes. I want to provide you with another set of numbers. 
The survey by the Center of Bible Engagement polled 40,000 people from the ages 8 to 80 with the question, how are we engaging with Scripture? And what they found was there wasn't that significant of a change when you read your Bible from one to three times a week, but when you read your Bible four times a week, these were the numbers. Alcoholism drops 57%. Sex outside of marriage drops 68%. Viewing pornography drops 61%. Sharing your faith jumps up to 228%. Discipling others jumps 231%. Four times a week, reading the word of God, and all of a sudden, we've got pornography. It's just not even fascinating anymore. (laughs) I don't want to look at that screen anymore. I want to look at Jesus. I don't need that drink of alcohol anymore. I just want to look at Jesus. I, I I don't have a desire to have sex outside of marriage anymore. Why? Because I know, I know who I am. And guess what? I want to talk about him. So I'm going to share my faith. Jumps up to 228% when you're in your Bible at least four times a week. Something changes. Not because these are good words, because this is a good history lesson, because there's good principles, but because he actually has authority in his word and it will change you. It will change you. And if you don't believe me, try it. When you read scripture four times a week, something happens when you are in the word more often. All right, I'm going to speed through this section here, but there's a lot of different views when it comes to biblical inspiration. We hold to the view that says that every word in the Bible is inspired. Every word. Every word of scripture is God-given and every part of the Bible is fully authoritative. This is what we mean when we say that we hold to the inerrancy of scripture is we mean scripture is inspired and inerrant, meaning it is without error or fault. Where do we get this? Well, 2 Timothy 3.16. If you don't have this underlined, if you don't have it highlighted, if you don't have it starred in your Bible, please do it now. This is a really important verse. All scripture. Someone say all. Okay, does it say only the ones you like? All scripture is inspired. That word inspired is the Greek word um, theopinustos. Someone someone correct me afterwards. (laughs) It means this, God breathed. All scripture is God breathed. And profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. You want to be equipped for every good work? All scripture. Dive into this. But you know what's fascinating about this passage is if you look at the context that that Timothy is writing this in, Paul's writing this to Timothy, and he's actually talking, he's actually talking about persecution. You want to know how you, evo- how you go through persecution? You allow the scripture, the God-breathed word, to become profitable to teach you and to guide you. I love John 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The word from the beginning was God. The Greek word for word there is logos. It's the written word. From the beginning, the word was present, and not just words, but God being the word. So these words actually encapsulate who he is. It isn't that this book is God. This is not God. God is not a book. I know that sounds really simple. God is not a book. But the Bible is his word. Therefore, the Bible expresses who he is, reveals his nature, and has the ability to transform through the Holy Spirit, the one reading it. Also, let's just point out one quick thing. If we're going to just look at history, okay, 
Listen to this. The Bible has proven to be more historically and archaeological accurate than any other ancient book. It has been subjected to the minutest scientific textual analysis possible to humanity and has been proven to be authentic in every way. So if you want to start talking to me about history, I can talk history with you. This right here, the most historically accurate book. So what's, what's my point? My point is what actually is in here actually happened. And you need to read it and not just think to yourself, man, that's really interesting. Like Noah built an ark. Okay. No, no, no. Did you know that Noah actually built an ark? Did you know that there actually was a flood? There's evidence that there was a flood. Did you know that what happened in here actually happened? And you need to not just hear that. You need to believe it because it will frame every part of your Christian life. It's the fact that God didn't just say, oh, the Red Sea is going to part. He actually parted it. Oh, whoo. It actually happened. Some of us, even believers that have been believers for years, we need to be reminded that this actually happened. Some of you today, you've been, you've been trying to go somewhere. You're like, I don't know what's going on, Lord. I don't know what's going on. You need to read this again, and you need to go, God, you actually did that. You actually gave the widow oil. You actually multiplied enough food for 5,000. You actually healed the sick. You actually raised Lazarus out of a grave. You actually died, rose again, and ascended to the Father and poured out the Holy Spirit. You mean Acts 2? There was actually a wind that blew through the place and people began to have tongues of fire released? You mean this is not just good words. It's real. It's real. Oh, I'm fired up this morning. Guys, it's real. It's authentic and real. It even can be proved scientifically and historically. Now, what about the fact that he used people to write it? They were writing, people like Paul, John, Moses, they were writing with the Spirit of God under his superintendence. The Holy Spirit was guiding the authors. You can read that, that's 2 Peter 20, 21. It says, no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. That's 2 Peter 20, 21. For this reason, 1 Thessalonians 2, 13, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, this is Paul, right? He's saying, you heard the word of God from us. You accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. Oh, Scripture is the written result of the Holy Spirit providing the words of God to set apart spokesmen. What's the point? To believe in the inerrancy and the authority of Scripture is to understand and believe in the authority of God. And the two are tied together. So when you hear people say, ah, we don't really hold to the Bible, guess what they're doing? They're completely removing the authority of God. They're coming out from under the authority of God and they're placing themselves under a different authority. We believe that he's sovereign, that he's unchanging, that he's all-powerful, that his word, thank God, does not return to him void. That's Isaiah 55, 11, if you want to read it. I don't have time. William Tyndale says this. He says, the Bible reveals his thoughts and ways, sets his target, voices his promises, and is powerful to achieve what it expresses. The gospel itself, let's just take the gospel itself is proof that not one word of God has failed. (laughs) All right, so why is this important? Because there's a lot of other books out there. There's a lot of other opinions out there. And listen, some of these things are good, but it's not the word. We have more ways than ever to get media content, knowledge, 
But what happens is, if we're not careful, we can supplement our walk with God through other resources instead of feeding on his word. Other things can become a supplement. It's like, oh, there's an injection. I like that. And I go to that more than I go to my Bible. Be careful about that, okay? So can I challenge you on something? If you spend time on social media, listening to podcasts, and I'm talking to myself, okay? But you don't have time to open your Bible, your priorities are out of alignment. I'm not going to sugarcoat it this morning. The biggest thing, when we were doing ministry school, we had, we had so much Bible reading. And we had a lot. So I, I get that there was a lot of Bible reading, but we had a lot of like complaints that year. Because it was this thing of like, I don't want to have to read my Bible. I, I just kind of want, want to be able to read my Bible on my own terms and not actually have to for school. So it was sort of this like, are we legalistic? Because I, I, I'd like the grace to kind of be able to do my own thing. And I, I love that. I'm all about that. But guess what? You need to form a spiritual discipline. Oh, I'm going to hit this hard this morning. Some of us, we're a little loosey-goosey. We're like, ah, it's okay, like whatever. You need to establish a spiritual discipline in your life of reading the Word. And if you don't have one, you need to form one. I don't care if it's 5 a.m., 10 a.m., 12 p.m. It doesn't matter. Form a habit, a spiritual discipline, because this will train you and it will form you. And the biggest excuse, the biggest excuse that I hear is, Andrew, I don't have time. I don't have time. But I got time for a lot of other things, Andrew. I don't have time. I told you guys I was going to hit below the belt this morning. Some of you, some of you, some of you, you got three hours and 45 minutes of time on this. And yet when I ask you if you've read the word, you're like, I just don't have time. Yeah, you do. You got three hours and 45 minutes of time. If I look at your calendar, I can see what's valuable to you. I can see where you prioritize things. You know why I love having people like Gary Langford in my life? Because Gary... Gary doesn't just read good books. He actually goes out there and does it. I love Gary. He's such a great example of that. He's, Gary's not just going to read a leadership book and it's just going to stay just a leadership book. No, Gary's going to be the one at the front line like, hey, guys, come on, follow me. I, I know where we're going now. Why? Because he takes things and he applies them. You actually do things. That's important when you read the word. It's not just knowledge. It's about how do I apply this to my life? All right, so I just want to really, really challenge you. You have time for what you value, and you should value this. And so when we hit February and we start reading Acts, I'm just going to challenge you. You got time for a chapter a day. All right, some of you are going to email me. That's okay. (laughs) Andrew at Convergence Church. I'll take it. John 8, verse 31. This is Jesus talking. Jesus says this. If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And then the next verse is what? Everybody should know it. And you will know the truth. And the truth will. That's it. That's it. We can go home now. If you continue in my word, you are truly disciples. So listen, this is important though. I already said this, but to discount or remove aspects of the word of God is to discount and or remove the authority of God in it. Which means if you twist the word to align with culture, you're actually removing the power and the authority of that word to change your life. You're stripping it. And listen, this is really important, guys. When the end comes, there's going to be false prophets. Right? Jesus and Matthew even said there's going to be wolves in sheep's clothing. 
Why is that important? Because you can actually listen to people talk about certain aspects of this, and they're actually saying it to base their point that actually is rooted in something that's not God. And you have to be really careful. And we have all these people that are like, well, how do I know? You know because you know this. And you don't just know one verse that someone cherry-picked on a Sunday morning. You know the context. You know the other verses enough to know that's not actually what that verse says. It can't be because of all these other verses. So you know this, and because you know it, it begins to make spotting false prophets really easy. It's not difficult. You're like, oh, you got that random vision from an angel about Jesus returning on April 14th, 19, you know, 75. And it's like, well, hold on. I'm reading here in Matthew 24 that we don't know the day or the hour. Okay, so hold on a second. That can't be right. So you got to know this, though. Because when the end comes, it's going to be a lot harder to distinguish who is actually of God and not just talking about God. Who's actually, who's actually with him? So the only way to distinguish between what is truth and what is not is to be rooted and grounded in the word. All right, turn in your Bible to Ephesians 6. We're going to really quickly, in the next like seven minutes, we're going to hit Ephesians. I love the book of Ephesians. This is Paul writing to the church at Ephesus. All right, here's what he says. You ready? Ephesians 6, verse 17. Talking about the armor of God. Take up the helmet of salvation. Uh, Let's start in 16, yeah. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, verse 18, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. So here, in the context, as he begins to talk about all of the different elements of the armor of God. And if if you haven't read this and memorized it, you need to read this, because it's really important. The armor of God is important. But I want you to see, there's one offensive aspect of this, and what is it? It's the sword of the spirit. Every other, every other armor is a defensive armor. I've got my shield. I've got my, I've got my shoes on. I've got my belt of truth, right? I've got my helmet of salvation. But guess what I'm also wielding? A sword. I'm wielding a sword. I'm wielding the sword of the spirit. And the Lord, as I was praying about this particular thing, the Lord said, it's time for the, the word to be the sword that you carry. It's time to pick up your sword. It's time to pick up your sword. We need to be reminded in this day, we must be tethered to the truth of his word. We must wield the sword of the spirit. We must arm ourselves with the gospel and the truth. Hebrews 4 verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. So you're saying, out of all the offensive weapons that I could wield, this is actually sharper? Yeah. You mean it's sharper than my own personal idea of what this looks like? Yeah. When Jesus was being tempted, what did he do? It is what? It is written. It is written. It is written. It is written. Do you know how many times I lay at bed at night when I'm struggling with something and I'll just, I'll just start to, you know, you start to quote scripture. I remember when I was a kid, I was 13 years old and my mom actually wrote out the beginning of Romans 12 and stuck it on the pantry door. I still remember it to this day. It's etched in my memory. It was a blue marker and it was on a poster board. And as kids growing up, we would just I urge you, therefore, brethren, I urge you, therefore, brethren. Like, we would go over and over and over and over and over. And I'm not going to lie. I was kind of like, I'm over this sometimes. Come on, where are my teenagers at? I know you think like that. It's okay. But guess what? Guess what? Guess what? 
20 years later, 20 years later, I can stand on this stage right now and go, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, pleasing to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. And do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? How do I know all of that? Because I memorized it as a 13-year-old kid. And now at 34 years old, I still have that so etched in my heart that it becomes a sword. It becomes a sword. I actually can use that. I use it all the time. I always bring that, that verse up. But you know what? There's so many other verses. Memorize Psalm 91. If you're, if you're laying in bed at night and you can't sleep... Read Proverbs 3. It says, I, when I lie awake at night, my sleep will be sweet. Some of you, you need to read that. You need to memorize it. How do I know this? Because it's in here. Because it's in here. So we're going to end here. Why is it that when you pick up your sword and spend time in it, that bitterness leaves? Why is it that you can't read this for prolonged periods of time and remain depressed? Why is it that when I read this at night and I'm struggling with anxiety that it just lifts? Why is it that pornography no longer becomes a desire because here's my desire? Because my desire is Jesus. Because my desire is freedom. Because this becomes a bigger desire than any woman I could ever see on a screen like that. It's all about what happens when I become captivated with the man Jesus as I read his word. It's not just because I'm reading a good book. It's because as I read this, listen, I submit myself. I surrender myself and I come underneath the authority of the truth of the word of God. And the fact that every word can and will set you free. Oh, come on. Some of you, you've been reading and watching and doing so many other things, and you're wondering why your anxiety level is high. Because of what you're feeding on. You want freedom? Root yourself in this. Root yourself in it. the last story I'm going to tell and then we can get up I was in here we were doing ministry school and I was sitting I was sitting right here on the same row that Phyllis is sitting on and I was watching I was watching and Mark Snyder was up at the front and Mark looks at all, all of us and he says I want I want somebody to come up here and I want you to give me five verses about worship not a single person in the room moved. Not a single person. And Mark looked us straight in the eyes and he said, you guys don't know your Bible. And you know what? To this day, I have that memory etched inside of me. And it has framed my life because I now know this has to be something that I actually read and know. I don't, want to be, I don't want to be up here and be like, hey, do you actually know what this says? Do you actually know what it means? Do you actually know what's coming from this? And as he said that, it brought not, not shame, not condemnation. It brought conviction. Oh, I was convicted. I was like, I've been in church my whole life. I'm a pastor's kid. I've grown up my whole life in church. And yet, I can't name five verses about worship? What's going on, Lord? And the Lord was like, Andrew, I am rooting a desire within your heart to actually be saturated in this. And you know what? I'm standing here this morning as your pastor, partly because of that moment sitting in that row right there. Because the Lord began to put a passion and a zeal inside my heart that says, I'm not just going to get up here and spout good words. I'm actually going to read this and know it.
I'm actually going to read it and know it. And there's a fire that began to burn in my heart that says, I need his word. I need it to wash me. I need it to cleanse me. I need it to overcome. We overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And I need this. I need to come underneath it. Because I got a lot of stuff in my life that I'm struggling with. And the Lord's like, come under the authority of the word. And begin to actually read it and allow me with that two-edged sword to pierce your heart so that it can breathe again. So that it can breathe again. I would not be up here if it wasn't for that moment. I really don't think so. Because that moment gave me that thing of I'm going to know this. And I'm going to know it, God willing, well enough to be able to teach it. the Lord said, I need, I need to convict you, Andrew. I need, I need you to listen to me, Andrew. I need you to listen to me. This moment as a 13-year-old, as a teenager, is a really impactful moment for you because you're struggling with pornography. I was struggling at the time. And you know what? The Lord uses his word and his truth of the gospel to change your life. Can we stand? When you get in the word, you give him more authority to govern, direct, and lead you. When we're in here, we have a lot better chance of not being wise in our own eyes. I love Psalm 119, and this is what I'm gonna leave us with. Verse 105, his word is a lamp, a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. If your life looks dark right now, if you're standing in this room and you're like, I don't know where I'm supposed to go, Andrew. I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know what my calling is. I don't know what to do. You know what else Psalm 119 says in verse 57? It says, the Lord is my portion. So what's my point? My point is that his word is a lamp. It's like I get in here and everything's dark around me and I begin to read and all of a sudden, juice, the light comes on. Not because I'm just doing a cool little Christian thing of having a quiet time, but because I'm allowing his living and active word to actually pierce my heart and lead me and guide me. And what happens is, is he becomes my portion. He becomes my purpose. He becomes my calling. He becomes the way because his word is a lamp to our feet and it lights our path. You need a light in this hour. Let me give you a light. So I'm just gonna quickly, eight keys to reading scripture. Number one, read it every day. I just encourage you, read it every day. Be willing to camp out. Involve the Holy Spirit. Always look at the context and the footnotes. We got a lot of people that just read verses and they don't actually know what the verse means. Don't just read a paraphrased version. Ah, I just hit a little below the belt there too. Eesh. Yikes, can't, can't go there very long. Don't read just a paraphrase. Read a translation. There's a difference. I love, I love the passion and the message. However, those are not translations, they're paraphrases. And they're good, and they can awaken something, but read it next to a translation. Okay. Let it pierce your heart. Let it confront things. If you read this and it doesn't confront things, you need to read it again. You're not reading it. Oh, I read this so many times, and I'm like, Lord, my life does not look like Paul's. Help me. Read it. Read it. Why does it say that they saw the confidence of Peter and John and they saw that they were untrained men, yet they saw that they had been with Jesus? Oh, I don't care about any other training. You know what? I want people to look at me and go, He's been with Jesus. He's been with Jesus. All right. Number seven, discuss it with other believers. Theology is meant to be done in the context of community, it's not meant to be a lone ranger sport. Ask someone, hey, I don't know what this verse means. What do you think it means? And number eight is the last one. Memorize specific passages. Know it. Know it. Know it. All right, I'm going to pray for us. Put your hand on your heart. 
Lord, as we step into February and we begin to read Acts, I'm asking you that Acts not just be good 28 chapters of Scripture. I'm asking you that as a church that we would look back on February and we would be like, we are not the same. We're not the same. We're not the same. Because when we read about Pentecost, we're not just reading about a good story that happened once. We're reading because the Holy Spirit was poured out and He wants to be poured out again. So Lord, would you lead us? Would you guide us as a church community, as Convergence Church? And if you're a guest or you're watching online, we're just grateful that you're tuning in. And you can ante into this with us as a church family. We are going to commit and step into being a word church. We're a spirit and the word church. We're going to read this. We're going to know this, Lord. We're going to know your word. We're going to know your word. And so I ask you for those that maybe are in the room and they're like, Lord, I just have trouble when I approach it. It, it, it's, It's not easy to read. Lord, I just ask you that you would flip a switch. I ask you for the desire. I ask you for the Luke 24 road to Emmaus experience that they would look back, even as Jesus revealed the scriptures to themselves, they looked back at that moment and they said, were not our hearts burning? I ask you that as the scriptures are read, as we read them, that we would look back and go, oh my goodness, our hearts are burning. Would you awaken a burning in, a heart, in, in hearts, a zeal for your word, a passion, a burning desire to read and to know and to allow this, this your word to shape us and lead us. So we just step in as a church family. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, thank you guys so much for joining us. Discover, if you're a part of Discover, or if you want to be a part of Discover, if you're a guest and you want to learn more about us, just walk over straight across the walkway here. We'd love to have lunch with you. Bless you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. And he causes his face to shine upon you. Bless you if you're watching online. We're so glad that you joined us and tuned in. All right, we're thankful for you.